0: Hello and welcome to the Holy City Hoops podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. Charleston on the wrong side of a sweep this weekend at home against the Northeastern Huskies. Two tough games. Uh, The Cougars held a late lead in both of them. We mentioned it last week, though. Bill Cohen is one of the best coaches in the CAA, and Northeastern right now just looks like a well-oiled machine. Uh, Definitely the best team in the conference at the moment. Uh, And when it got down to crunch time, it was just a few plays difference between going 2-0 and taking over first place, if you're Charleston, and going 0-2 and falling to 3-3 in the conference. But here's the thing. We're all in agreement that Northeastern looks like the cream of the crop. So we can't also say that Charleston is no good because they went 0-2. They lost these two games by a combined seven points. In today's episode, we're going to try to look at some of the positives, whether it's Brendan Tucker, whether it's the improving defense, while still acknowledging where this team needs to improve. There's still 12 games to play, and the Cougars have a tantalizing stretch of games coming up. So without further ado, let's bring in today's guest, a former basketball player at the College of Charleston, the original UNC killer. Now he's in the booth beside Everett German calling games. His name is Danny Johnson, someone who always teaches you something new about basketball every time you hear him talk. We'll bring in DJ in one sec. Y'all know the deal. Please subscribe to the podcast. Check out holycityhoops.com. Follow us on social media the rest of the season. Let's get into today's show. All right, DJ, you were on the sidelines this weekend for the two Northeastern games. Charleston on the wrong side of a sweep. I told you before we started recording, I'm feeling a couple different emotions. One minute I'm I'm feeling encouraged. One minute I'm feeling bummed out. How are you doing? How are you feeling uh, after Sunday's game?
1: I think all of us kind of rest in that that gray area that you're mentioning. On one hand, you know Northeastern's undefeated in the conference. Uh, they always have a high basketball IQ. You know, Coach Cohen has established that program for quite a quite a while. Um, tough. So you know it's a hard matchup. And then on the other hand, you look at it like it's a game. Two very winnable games, Um, just execution down the stretch, maybe not being at the level that you want. I think there are some factors that probably play a part in that somewhat, but uh, still it's kind of disheartening when you lose that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, Charleston was in a position to win both games. First game is kind of back and forth the whole time. Northeastern goes on a late run, and then Charleston just can't seem to execute down the stretch. And then in the second game, you get – To that point in a different way, Charleston basically sleepwalks the first half surges back in the second half takes I think they went up seven points in the second half a couple times they seem to have the momentum, and again, just a a couple plays down the stretch, not going Charleston's way so seem like closing games or the inability to close games is kind of the theme this weekend, what do you attribute that to what why, why does Charleston not seem to be able to hold on to these leads late.
1: I think it's a lot of reasons uh, for, for a long time, you know, you had uh, a Grant Riller you could kind of lean on in those situations. And he's no longer there. And, and then you, before that, you had Jarrell Brantley gone and then you had a period of Joe Chile with there too. So you had three guys. And so I think you lived off the fat of the hog for, for a long time having those guys. Well, you know, they're all three NBA level guys, obviously. So, you know, now it's reestablishing a new identity. And I just think that's what it comes down to. Nobody's kind of stepped forward to be that guy in the crunch time. I mean, we've had some some improved play by, by Tucker, Brendan Tucker, and some other guys. And, you know, I was hoping it would be Willis because he's the, the most seasoned and he played in the, the Big Ten. But I just think right now to have an identity crisis about who's going to be the guy or guys that help turn the table for these type of outcomes. I think it's just a sorting out process that they quite haven't gotten through yet.
0: I, I definitely think the team was able to lean on on guys like Joe and Grant for a long time and and now, yeah, everyone's looking around seeing who's gonna who's gonna be the one to kind of draw the foul and go to the line or slow things down or make the right play. For fans who may have missed these games, I jotted down the the late game execution of of both of these so on Saturday. Charleston's up 60 to 57 with 3:36 to play. Northeastern turns the ball over, and then you go. Brendan Tucker missed layup. The Lorenzo Edwards off the ball foul, and you take two free throws. Then Zepp Jasper turnover. Shaq Walters steal and one. Uh, Zepp Jasper missed a three. Tyson Walker makes a three. That was the backbreaker. That Tyson Walker game or that Tyson Walker basket on Saturday, late in the shot clock, to put Northeastern up uh, two possessions. And then we have the weird sequence at the end where Peyton Willis has the wedgie. You know, the ball gets stuck. We get the ball back on the possession arrow, and then Harvey steps out of bounds. And then similarly on Sunday, uh, that final stretch is you get the missed layup from Walker when the game's tied. Then you have the OC Smart slam to go ahead. Northeastern answers right back with a jumper. Then you have a Brendan Tucker miss with about 30 seconds left. And then Northeastern, the go-ahead shots, a tip-in. And then both Jasper and Smart kind of miss missed layups on the other end so that's like four potential game winners between the two the two games Where just one of those goes it's a it's a totally different weekend for cfc so it is just um a slim margin of error but we you talked about the guy or the guys who can kind of steady the ship late and i wanted to talk a little bit about the two candidates for that who i think are zep and peyton you know two leading scorers on the team two veteran guys peyton willis struggled this weekend i think he was getting the uh the northeastern Grant Riller defense on them struggled in the first half of both games. Never took a free throw attempt in either game, and then Zepp. I want to talk about him because he his roles kind of changed since Brevin went down. It's kind of been mixed how how he's played. I mean, sometimes he scores first, sometimes he kind of dribbles the ball too much. Those two guys, what what do they need to do to kind of you know steady the ship a little?
1: With Zepp Jasper, I think he just. He is who we thought he was, you know, to put it lightly. I mean, he's a guy that's that's steady at the point. He's a great defender, but he's been in the role long enough for us to kind of understand he's not really a closer. He's more of a, you know, steady to ship, easy as we go type of player. I don't think he's ever emerged to that next guy to be the guy because – He's had opportunities, you know. He's played so many games now that, you know, some guys have been in and out of the lineup where, you know, he was faced with that. And it's just not really who he is. And that's okay because, you know, sometimes that's just not the type of player you are. Uh, Peyton Willis, on the other hand, I do believe he's that guy. I do believe he has the skill set. He has a little bit of everything. And I think it's one of those cases where, he's too unselfish for his own good yeah and what I mean by that is I think everybody who watches Charleston play I think we all look at him and say you know force the action a little bit you know take more shots I think we'd be happy so what if you miss a few here and there but similar to similar to what Grant Rillard was for us you know like You've got to sometimes impose your will. Yeah, they they walling you up, and, yes, they're guarding you in a certain type of way, but we could see that in the second half when of Sunday's game, today's game, you know, when he decided he was just going to raise up and hit some jumpers or raise up and hit some threes, that was really the reason why Charles did even got back in the game. Yeah, he'll do it and in spurts. Exactly. And so you just say to yourself, hey, you know, be aggressive like that from tip to finish because – you know, I've said this on the air and, and I mentioned it, you know, to people close to me. I expect him to be in the, you know, 17 shot a game range. And so when he's, you know, three for nine and, you know, four for, for 10 uh, in my book you know, as an ex-player, I just don't think that's enough. He's just not having enough activity. And, and it's not about making or missing shots with him necessarily, Because I think when he has more activity, you can see the energy of the whole team go up. Mm. And I think he just has to realize that's who he is. I just think he's unselfish. And the first couple of games, you know, he's coming from a new school, new team. Maybe he's filling himself out. But I think we've all seen that when he's aggressive, Charleston is the best best version of themselves.
0: So let's say I I think both those guys would probably be happy in – complimentary roles next to Brevin Galloway and let Brevin kind of be the guy. Obviously Brevin is not coming back this season. Is it tough for guys to adjust roles kind of on the fly, you know, like mid season after an injury or something like that?
1: Yes. It it just depends on the type of player you are, you know, it just depends on the skill set you come with. And it depends on the coaching you've had through the years, I think. And this season's even more difficult um, with, with mm-hmm. COVID out there you know, guys in and out of practice, in and out of games. You don't know who's available really right up until the moment before tip-off. So the mental anguish that a lot of these players have to go through, I'm sure plays a part in some of this. So it's it's just hard to really have a collective unit right now. I mean, if we look across the country at other college basketball games, you see mid-majors who have a lot of juniors and seniors on the roster being very successful. You see programs to have established themselves in the way they do it. Let's say University of Tennessee with Rick Barnes. Those programs that are established, they can lose a few practices here and there. They can have a guy to go in and out the lineup due to COVID or, or injury, what have you. But we can see that the teams that haven't established that, you know, mid-major level, and even at the level of, of a Kentucky where, or Duke where you have a lot of incoming freshmen and you're just not getting that continuity, I think all that has made it very difficult for some teams to find their footing.
0: Well, let's talk about a guy who has found his footing and has really blossomed since Brev went down. You were on the sidelines when Brendan Tucker hit 35 the other weekend. He led Charleston in scoring both games this weekend. What are your thoughts on, on how he's looked lately and, and kind of what his ceiling is as a player?
1: What is something you hear me say quite frequently? I always say the game has slowed down for him. And what I mean by that is a lot of times a freshman or a young player, they're so amped up and anxious to do something that they outrun themselves. And now I think Brendan has finally kind of slowed down and analyzed the game. And so, where before, I mean, he can beat anybody off the dribble. We've seen that over and over. Very similar to Grant. I mean, just off the dribble one on one, he's he's unguardable. But now he's slowed down to the point of finishing and and able to convert on these layups and, and shots that he wasn't before. And again, that's just patience and understanding and reps. And so what we're seeing is a guy, very talented, very explosive, start to get confident, understand what he's doing, and it's really showing up on the stat sheet for him.
0: Do you think he needs to be taking more shots or, or have the ball in his hands a little bit more?
1: I think he's right at where he needs to be. Hmm. I mean, I think that you don't want him, especially this young in his career, thinking the game like a point guard you know it's not his natural thing his natural thing is just put it on the deck and attack and attack and attack and I think the way this team is set up you have Zep Jasper who is a point guard and you have Peyton who plays more like a point guard even though he starts at the two I think you're kind of settled there right now as far as the the head of the snake if you will and, and be the thinkers for the for the team. I don't think you want to slide Brendan into that because he's trying to improve in that area. While he scores, his assist numbers are down. I mean, he only gets like one assist a game or maybe none. And I'm sure he wants to improve that. I know the team wants him to improve that. But that'll come in time. That's not a problem. But right now, you kind of want him, hey, man, stick to what you're doing. You're doing great at that. But I think what I'm highlighting here is Peyton Willis. I honestly feel like Peyton Willis needs to be – the more aggressive one, and I actually believe that he should be the number one shot taker, game in and game out.
0: Gotcha. Thinking about other positives from the weekend, I think as bad as Charleston looked in the first half today, falling behind, I don't know if Earl Grant broke a couple clipboards in the locker room at halftime, or the <laughs> the team just snapped back to it. Something happened, and they just looked worlds better in the second half. Uh, I think they so they scored twenty in the first. I think they scored their next twenty in the next like six or seven minutes. What did you see clicking when Charleston was making that comeback?
1: I think it's something we've seen all year. I mean, we've seen for whatever reason, no matter how they play in the first half, they seem to close first half rel- relatively well today. They didn't, but they also start the second half really well. It's been a pattern for a little while now. You never talking about it a lot on the broadcast. So, you know, they were down 14 and that's, that's, that's a significant number. I don't want to, I don't want to minimize that by any way, but with the three-point shot the way it is and utilized today and the way it's played, it's not as big a lead as it once was, you know, 20 years ago. So you come out, you get a few stops, you make a few shots, you're right back in at your single digits. I wasn't really surprised by that. I've seen that the one good thing this team does is after a break of some kind, they seem to to rally well, and after turn after timeouts, they send them to come out and, and have a, a good play. So they seem to do well with the kind of stoppage in play and then kind of getting themselves going If for whatever reason, they're not firing on all cylinders.
0: We've seen the bench come up big all season, really, but this weekend as well, D'Angelo Epps had a nice game Saturday and followed it up with a pretty nice game on Sunday. Uh, Cam Copeland came off the bench and, and gave good minutes. Keegan Harvey had some moments in the first game. Is there a guy coming off the bench that you you really like?
1: Uh, I really like Epps and Copeland. Uh, again, especially Copeland, I uh, like Epps. But what they do is they change the complexity of the lineup. You know, you see our starting lineup, and it's built a certain way, and they play a certain way. But if you watch it when with, with Epps and Copeland are on the floor at the same time, their tenacity and their length, especially their height and their length, Cause problems for the for the other team defensively, and and they also become a better rebounding team almost immediately. So those two especially, I mean Keegan, he's a you know nice player, seven footer, can shoot it, you know pick and roll, Um, but he's limited because of his his foot speed right now and and his frame. He's just not strong enough to bang down there for extended periods of time. So. I really like those guys coming off the bench, especially Copeland and Epps. They they, they both are guys that, you know, have some games behind them. Copeland more and Juco, but Epps has some here. And I think they really shake up the dynamic of that team. And you could see uh, a lot of this weekend, especially a lot of their success came when that second unit kind of came in mm-hmm. and, you know, kept it going and got the energy levels up and got some turnovers and got rebounds and, you know, contested shots. So it's a different looking Charleston team and those two guys on the floor at the same time and I think it's benefited them well with those guys coming off the bench
0: yeah you mentioned the defense um, Charleston held Northeastern below 70 in both games which uh, is usually a good indicator for Charleston usually they win those games but you saw just a couple backbreakers from Northeastern it seems like they're they're so hard to guard at times you know you play good defense for 20 plus seconds. And then they hit up, you know, a guy cutting to the basket or they hit a contested three. What have you seen from Northeastern this weekend? And then maybe even over the years that just makes them so difficult to guard.
1: Oh, well, they're just well coached. Um, yeah. They, they, they just are Cohen. We always say that Northeastern is always going to be one of the higher IQ teams, in our league right up there with William and Mary. I mean, they just know they have a system in place they know where they're going. There's familiarity there. So while the players' names may change on the back of the jersey, the system stays the same. So I'm not really surprised at how they are. Uh, it's You, you kind of expect it to a level. But, I mean, with them, primarily, it runs through Walker. I mean, they, whenever they're in trouble, if you really break them down, uh, they go into that wing pick and roll, and he comes off, and he makes a play either for himself – or for the roller or for a diver, they seem to to go through him. And he's a very confident young man. So he's very willing and able to step up and make those plays when they need it.
0: Yeah, he's, he looks like he might be player of the year this year. I mean, he's only a sophomore. Um, right. he's, he's been playing so, so well. I feel like any point guard in that Northeastern system always just does really well. Always <laughs> system, seems to,
1: it's the system. Yeah.
0: Like. Yeah. You can put anybody in there. I, yeah. He's, he's good. I was, I was, I hadn't seen him play in person. I just seen his numbers and yeah, he's a, he's a nice player for Northeastern other positives from Charleston here. The assist to turnover ratio was good in both games. I thought they turned Northeastern over a lot. I, I wish they could have scored in transition a, a few more times, Mm-hmm. It seems like they things haven't really clicked for them. You and Ever both talked about it today, missing some layups, missing some two-on-ones, but Charleston is still a, a good shooting team. If you had to nitpick the offense a little bit, what, what would you like to see more of? Is it free throws? Is it transition? Is it points in the paint? What, what
1: would you say? I mean, definitely points in the paint. They, they've got to find a way. And, and they and they do. The funny thing about it is on the stat sheet, there's two ways to get points in the paint. Traditionally, you go through a four and five and a pound and a and and jump hook and around the rim, that kind of way. And then there's driving to the basket points in the paint. So when you look at the stat sheet at the end of the night, Charleston's up there, right there with them, or maybe more. However, the problem is thats is that we're not getting any front court scoring with, with people's back to the basket. Mm-hmm. And I just believe that there's points in the game where it comes possession, possession, where you need something like that. And uh, it's just not available. That's just not what they do. So if I was just being very specific, it would be that. And then again, if 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 you're a guard and and you're going to try to get your points in the paint by driving, then uh, you have to go uh, with reckless abandon. I say all the time, you have to go to score. You can't go to think you're going to get a call because the, the referees in this league, a lot of times they let you play. So you can't go in there, you know, and 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 not be willing to absorb some type of contact and willing to concentrate and finish because a lot of times when you lose a game like this you look back and say well how many you know two three foot layups did we blow you know and you go seven eight and you go you can't help but think to yourself like wow if we could just convert half of those yeah where would we be
0: yeah so what what's the solution to that i mean do you do you force feed smart more do you try to live with uh with king's mistakes and try and get him the ball a little bit more he's showing he can kind of score inside or or is it just um adjusting to to the contact for for the guards because the team yeah i I
1: think it's really going to come down to that Uh, uh, oc is as hard as he plays and, and i like him as a player it's just not who he is you know he's just not a touch guy around the rim and you know they just really don't have a post presence like that you know everybody's like a a one, two, or three, you know, and then we got a couple of fours mixed in there, mm-hmm. no really true centers. So, you know, I think it's going to have to come from the wings. I think it's going to have to come from attacking. I mean, obviously, Brendan Tucker puts a ton of pressure on the defense. I mean, he constantly is knifing through the paint uh, and, and racking up team fouls against the opposition. But, you know, Peyton Willis needs to join the party a little bit more. I think Zepp Jasper, you know, I think he over sometimes when he gets to the paint. He just needs to be decisive and, and take a shot. And if he doesn't have it, you know, not try to do those little drop-offs in traffic where there's a lot of hands in action. But if you're not going to take the shot, then look to kick, it back out to the three-point line and and restart the offense or set up a three-pointer for, for a teammate.
0: So, looking kind of big picture, uh, six games in, Charleston again without their leading scorer. I feel like I'm you know, cautiously optimistic, I feel like they can still, they they look better now certainly than they did in non-conference. Brendan Tucker's emergence has been a big part of that. The defense getting better has been a big part of that. They have a soft part of the schedule coming up. Where do you feel, you know, Charleston has made improvements. How are you feeling about them as a, as a team going into kind of like the, I guess like the meat and potatoes stretch of, of CAA play?
1: I'd like to correct you on one point. I don't think there's a a soft schedule in the CAA. It just doesn't appear to be that way. That, That's true. I mean, The conference That's true. itself uh, kind of lends itself to the same type of league year in, year out. You have like this one team that kind of merges, yep. and then you have like six or seven teams right together. It's it's odd, but it, it happens every, se- every season. It happens every year. So I wouldn't yep. say that there's a soft part of the schedule. I just don't think the CAA gives you that. And I, I'll double down on that even more. Uh, because William & Mary is a very disciplined ball club. I mean, their offense is reminiscent of the old Davidson and Princeton-style basketball where it's constant moving and back cuts and just face cuts and and just basically playing you against your mistakes. So, you know, this, this defense, while they play hard, they make mistakes. So it's not going to be an easy day for them because William & Mary is going to make you pay for every one of those mistakes you have. They may not have the athletes or – the one-on-one players, but what they do is they have high IQ guys that know how to cut and pass, and they all are pretty much knockdown shooters, you know. I kind of made the expression uh, – I made the comment a few years ago. I said, man, you watch William and Mary play sometimes, it's hard to tell who's who because they all have built the same height and they kind of have the same body type. Oh, yeah. And, and they're tough. So it's, uh, it's going to be a hard task, a very difficult task, and I talked about this post-game with Coach Grant, it's going to be a difficult task because now, you know, when you lose a Saturday game, like you did this weekend, the good thing is you don't get much time to think about it. Right. You, you don't get to dwell on it. You have 24 yep. hours to turn over. Well, you lose another one. Now you a, you got a game. week <laughs> between that next contest. Well, you got to find a way to keep that negative energy from seeping into your team. So this is going to be a challenge for the, for the Charleston staff just to keep the team engaged and, and dwell on some of these good points that you're talking about. You know, um, just, you know there's not much we can do about it now. It's in the rearview mirror now. So what are we going to do going forward? Are we going to let this drag out longer than it should be? Or we're going to leave a sleeping dog where he lies and decide to, you know, kick it up a notch and try to go get some, some wins on the road.
0: Uh, since you rained on my parade, I should note that uh, <laughs> Char- Charleston has never won at William & Mary, uh, O for eternity, and they play both games up in Williamsburg this season, so Correct. maybe maybe they can finally do it this year. William & Mary on paper is supposed to not be very good, but for some reason, Charleston just cannot seem to, to solve that offense uh, on the road in Williamsburg. And then after that, they go on the road and they face uh, a familiar offense for Charleston fans or for older Charleston fans, a little bit of that Bobby Kremen's offense with Mark Binington and
1: mm-hmm. up at JMU.
0: So mm-hmm. yes, no, you're right there. There is no easy game on the schedule. I'm hoping that Northeastern is so good that now that they're behind us. Everything is a little <laughs> bit easier. But then, yeah, you still got Hofstra, you've got a rivalry against UNC Wilmington. But I do think this team is getting better. And that's that's encouraging. I don't know if it's the, the new schedule giving you more time in between games and maybe you can do a little bit more like player development or not just all scouting all week long. But mm-hmm. something about the the team, the time to gel seems to really be helping them.
1: Well, I, I'll I'll put it to you this way. I, I don't necessarily see it like, you know, you had a breakdown of the last few possessions of the game. And, and I get it, you know, the media, everybody else is going to cover that. I tend to look at it differently. Uh, for instance, the Saturday game, um, I really think it was less of a chance for Charleston to win that game. And I only I only say that because, you know, you had a, a player like Daughtery come off the bench and, you know, he makes his free throws. It's not a game. It's oh, not I, a game. I knew
0: that was going to bite us in the butt. I When he yeah. missed like the four straight, I was like, uh, karma's going to come back around. And
1: it did with that Walker shot. <laughs> yeah, you know he he was causing so much havoc on the offensive glass and just you look at his stats and this guy had, you know, 11 points, eight rebounds in 16 minutes <laughs> you know? and he's seven for 14 from the free throw line. So we all watching the game. We're like, if he makes, he can purchase free throws over and over. The game is not going to be as close as he gave it. You know what I mean? And not, he didn't give it to us, but he opened the door. Oh yeah. Charleston even be in it. So I don't really look at it as the last few plays. I look at it as the impact that he made on that game. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't do that. You know, Charleston has a comfortable lead. They're not giving up as many offensive rebounds, second chance opportunities, and probably winning easier. So I'm not going to concentrate on the last few possessions. So today, however, is a little different in that, you know, they climbed out of this 14-point hole at halftime. And even to the point where I think they went up seven or eight, and you can correct me. One of those is correct. But, and then all of a sudden they hit that little wall, whatever that is, where they go flat for a second. Yep. And then all of a sudden you have Walker who's re engaged and back in it. And then lo and behold, who's the one that makes the tap in? I'll let you say it Doherty. Doherty. <laughs> so, so it's just. Today's game was a more winnable game as compared to Saturday. If I'm looking at the big picture, yeah. so that's kind of how I analyze it. And 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 that's that's a lot going on there. You know, Zepp's coming down the floor with nine seconds to go on the clock. You know, there's two coaching philosophies. There's some coaches that say play it out. Uh, we have something already in the bag. Let's go to it. There's some coaches that's going to call a timeout in that situation. Which I wouldn't have been surprised because Charleston historically usually has a really good play coming out of timeouts for whatever reason. Yeah. So, you know, if they would have went that direction, you 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 could have went with that. Um, and talking to Coach Grant in the postgame, you know, they they knew the play they wanted to run. He basically said guys didn't get to the spots they needed to, they didn't, and we kind of it kind of It didn't really produce what they wanted out of it just because it took so long to get, to get it going. By the time Zep tried to make a play, it really was just up to him. And that's a tough position to put him in.
0: Yeah. That's, that's good insight on, uh, on what that play was supposed to be again, just super close in both games. One decision here, one decision there, one made layup, one made free throw could have decided it. Um, Mm-hmm. but uh but dj I, I, you've been very kind with your time and i don't want to take up too much of your evening um what are you looking for for the cougars moving forward though more more peyton willis
1: yeah i mean that's that's my that would be my prescription again you know this is the, the charleston staff has a completely different blueprint of what they do and I'm, I'm not privy to that i'm not allowed to be in those meetings but i think anybody that's watched this team play from day one to up until this point and you say okay when we're playing at our best what is what's the one thing that's happening on the floor that's consistent and I think that's Peyton Willis being aggressive and in scoring and not only that when he does that he's drawing the defense to him which opened up lane for Tucker which opens up threes for other people I think it just it's not just the one part of just being aggressive. It's all the the dominoes that happen when he does when he does play that way, and so I just think that it it shows in their game. So I don't see how or why you know he wouldn't be more involved or interject himself into the game more.
0: Yeah, he showed it in uh, in that Drexel series. He looked great. I mean, he was putting twenty plus up. So mm-hmm. See how he rebounds from a, his first kind of uh, shaky shaky kind of series. Uh, by the time Charleston comes back home, they're going to, you know, have a few more games under their belt and we'll see how things uh, kind of unfolded from, from here.
1: Where well, he's finding out what it's like to be a big time player. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, I, it's, I, it's, I told you, man, man. he was,
0: <laughs> he was getting the Joe Chile defensive treatment from Bill Cohen. I mean, exactly. he, he threw exactly. everything at him in, in the beginning of both
1: games. Exactly. And, that, and that's, you got to expect that, you know, when you're, when you're scoring like him and at the percentage he's at, especially being a 50% guard, I mean, they're they're gonna they're gonna wall you up and make you shoot over high hands and a lot of people. And Northeastern forced them into that. And I thought that Tucker offset a lot offset a lot of that. And I think some other guys, but now, you know, it's like, hey, I know they're gonna try to take you out, but we don't need you to not be aggressive when that happens. We still need yeah. you to continue to be yourself.
0: Yeah. All right, Danny. Well, always, uh, always good chatting with you. And, um, I always feel like I learned something new when have you on here. So appreciate your time. And, uh, we'll just leave it
1: at that. Go Cougs. Go Cougs. Take care of yourself. All it's right, time. brother. Be easy.